is good. Amen. He is holding all of this together in this room. He's holding your lives together. He's holding the universe together. And as Kyle said, that's the theme of this series that we're jumping into in the book of Colossians. Uh, that song comes straight out of God's word. Colossians 1.17, that Jesus Christ is before all things. And in him, in him alone, all things hold together. Do you believe that today? Man, I, I, I hope if you don't, that by the end of today that you do, by the end of this series, you, you do in a more uh, fresh way in your life. If you call Jesus your Savior, if you follow him, we want you to know that he holds it all together. Uh, we are jumping in this new series today. So excited to dive into it with you. It's entitled Hold It Together. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you're here with us to sing with us and, and now proclaim God's word together. I hope you got one of these Colossians journals as you walked in. Uh, it is our desire that you would dive into this book, that you would see practically, tangibly in your life, God's word for you. This isn't ethereal for some other people out there or, or for some people who look nice today and dress nice. This is for all of us if you are in Christ. And so I want you to dive into this beautiful truth together. And so you can take notes in this journal. You can follow along the scripture in this journal. Even during the week, I, I would encourage you, maybe write down the book of Colossians in, in your words. And maybe just exactly how it is in the scripture. Don't go rewriting the Bible but, but just take, take, read it and then write it down. You can do it in this journal. Write down how that makes you feel. Write down how it changes your reality. That we might grow together in Christ as he holds us together. Amen? That's the goal. And it starts today. Excited to dive in. Let's pray as we dive in together. Father in heaven, God, I'm so thankful uh, for these men and women in this room, even for those who are joining us online. God, I thank you that... You have this amazing, almost incomprehensible truth for, for them, for us. That Jesus, you hold everything together. That you do that by the very power of your word. That your power is beyond what we could ever think or ask or imagine. And God, for some of us, maybe it's easy to think about that for the whole universe and yet disregard that for our own souls. That we walk in here this morning with some distraction, that we walk in here this morning with some sin, some insecurity. And even though we just sang that you hold it all together, we're not so sure that you hold it all together. And God, we just lay that before you. I lay that before you on behalf of all of us. And just ask right now that you would change that by your spirit, through your word, that you would open up our eyes, you would soften our hearts to the truth, to the reality before us. That Jesus Christ holds it all together, including us, including our, our jobs and our, our kids and our grades and our relationships and our conflict. And God, you would awaken us to that beautiful reality through your word this morning. And God, I pray right now that you would just rescue us from simply attending another service, hearing another sermon. God, instead you would change us from the inside out by the power of your spirit. You would speak to us right now. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. When I was like 17, 18 years old, I was a kid growing up in Texas, and uh, my family had some land out in East Texas, kind of in the piney woods of East Texas, and I would do what I often did at, at that time in my life. I would load up in my two-door red 
Jeep Cherokee, don't be jealous, 1997, and I would load up and I would go hunt and fish, uh, just like the country songs say, okay? Uh, I was a stereotypical Texas kid, and, and I would load up and just go out to this family land, and I was doing that uh, one day specifically, and I looked at my gas tank, and it was about an hour and a half away to get to my family's land, and I only had a, a quarter of a tank of gas. And I looked at my gas tank, and then I looked at my wallet, and only had $7 in cash. And uh, children, uh, this, is, this is a time before cell phones and before I had a debit card. And I was, again, in East Texas, and there wasn't a lot of gas stations everywhere. And I remember vividly to this day getting on the highway and thinking, I don't know if this is a good idea. But then I said, YOLO, and I did it anyway, okay? Because I was 17 years old and I was an idiot. <laughs> and so I'm driving out there, and I went to the family land. I came back, and I don't know how I did it, but miraculously, I made it back home. I think it was like the, the, the cheaper gas prices, hallelujah, back then. Anybody remember that? Uh, that I made it, and uh, somehow I made it back. But that, that was kind of my life at that time when I was 17, 18 years old. I was just trying to hold it together. I mean, just financially, like my routine, like, I mean, just wisdom. I was just kind of trying to hold all this thing together in high school. And now fast forward to 2023. Uh, my life looks a lot different. Like, I have a debit card. <laughs> I, I have a, a cell phone. Uh, it's amazing technology. I have, like, gas stations. You see gas stations all around. I know it's expensive, but they're accessible. And, I, I ha like, things are different. Like, I've upgraded from the two-door Red Jeep Cherokee 1997 to a, a minivan. Don't, don't be jealous, okay? And things are different in my life. And, and on the surface, it could look like uh, I was holding things together a little bit easier. At least I could convince you that or myself that at times, even if internally I, I wasn't holding things together at all. See, here, here's what I know about you and me today is that we probably fall into one of those categories that some of you today are literally, you're just trying to hold the thing together. I mean, financially, you're trying to hold it together. I mean, you're in, you're in debt beyond belief, and you're just trying to hold it together, pay rent, pay the bills, paycheck to paycheck. You're just trying to hold it together financially. Some of you are just trying to hold it together maritally. And it's a little bit awkward that I brought that up because you're sitting right next to your spouse who you had conflict with this morning and you haven't talked about it and you're not sure if you're going to talk about it the rest of the day because the Super Bowl's on later and you're not sure how you feel about that and you're just trying to hold it together maritally. Some of you are just trying to hold it together relationally. Some of you, as you look across the aisle, there's people even in this room that you have unspoken conflict with. And you're just hoping that they don't bring it up and it's not awkward and you're just trying to hold it together relationally. Some of you are trying to hold it together spiritually. And you, you, you have some respectable sins, but you also have some hidden sins, supposedly hidden sins in your life. And you just have this disconnect with you and God. And you're kind of just hoping, well, well if I just kind of hold it together, like I, I sing some songs and stand up and sit down and, and open my Bible and kind of check church off the list this Sunday, that God will somehow bless that and gloss over my sin and make my life better. And you're just trying to hold it together. And it's very visible. It's external in your life. And yet some of you, I know you're on the other end of the spectrum. 
maybe, maybe know you're like Tim, no, my finances are great. My spiritual life is great. Did my quiet time today. I do it seven days a week. And uh, my relationships are great. I, I walked around to a lot of people today and said, hey, how are you doing? And they said, fine. And I said, fine too. And like, and, and on the surface, you're holding it together. But th that's almost the problem is you think you're holding it together. And Jesus is nowhere in that equation. It's just religion. It's just going through the motions. So I, I don't know where you are today, but here's my hope. Here's my prayer is, is where you'll end up by the end of this series is that you would realize no matter where you are along that spectrum is that Jesus Christ is the only one who is holding you together. That, that's the prayer. That's the hope on your good days and on your bad days, externally, internally, that Jesus Christ, you need to lift your eyes to him. He's stronger than you could ever think or imagine. He is holding the universe together. If you are in him, he holds your life together. That's the message of Colossians. That's the summary of this great little book, four chapters, 95 verses about the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ over and above all things, including your life. So we want to dig into that over the next many weeks together and, and study that and read that on our own and let that sift through your heart and your life. That's the goal this morning. That's the goal in this series. As we look at this letter, just to kind of introduce you to it, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to this little church in Colossae, this, this new church, kind of in a, a smaller city. We have a map we can throw on the screen. And the gospel had spread to the city of Colossae by way of Ephesus and by way of Paul. See, the Apostle Paul, you can go read about his conversion in Acts 7, 8, and 9. He, he really had this incredible conversion, this sort of darkness into to light experience, death to life experience, where, where he goes from fiercely persecuting Christians to fiercely proclaiming the resurrected Christ. Uh, you should go read it. If you've never read up on Paul, it's this dramatic story of transformation in Jesus Christ. And, and he's so enthralled with his transformation in Jesus Christ that he's, he's telling everybody he meets, even the people he meets in prison. You see, Paul is in prison as he writes this letter. And he's in prison for proclaiming the resurrected Christ. But, but he's even in prison. He's writing letters, getting the gospel out. He's so amazed by the grace of God in his own life that he has to share it with others. And he does that in a city called Ephesus, this major port city that all these people came in and out of. And, and one day he's sharing the gospel and this guy named Epaphras receives the gospel. And his, his life has changed from darkness to light, from death to life. And Epaphras continues that trend. This is how it should work. If you know Jesus, this is what you should have experienced in some way, shape, or form. Epaphras, his life was changed. And he couldn't get enough of the grace of God. So he takes it back to his home in the city of Colossae. And he starts sharing it with everybody he meets. Because it's that good. And he starts a church in the city of Colossae. And Paul, in prison, writes them this letter to encourage them, to exhort them, to, to guard them from some false teaching. And, and that's where we show up in the book of Colossians. So look at your copy of scriptures with me. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. And you can follow along, then we'll break it down. It says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, 
by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and it's growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you take notes, you can write this first point down. It's this, that Christ holds us together eternally. Christ holds us together eternally. Now, it's so interesting to me, if you notice, Paul starts out this letter with thankfulness. And it's interesting that he starts off this letter with thankfulness because Paul, again, is in prison. And the Colossians' people are in danger. We're going to get into it, chapters 2 and 3 primarily. You start to see that there's some competing uh, beliefs ideologies, religions, backgrounds, philosophies that have infiltrated the church at Colossae. We're going to get into some of what those were, but, but they're in danger. They're in danger of, of moving beyond Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 he holds it all together. You need to grow up in him uh, 15 times. In 95 verses, we see this phrase, in Christ, in him. Paul over and over is going to say, you don't graduate beyond Christ to move forward to advance in life. You just keep growing up in Christ. That's the way it works. And yet Paul, even with him being in prison, the Colossians being in danger, he doesn't start out with a warning. He starts out with, with thankfulness. He starts out with, with prayer. And to be honest, as I studied that, I didn't like it because it was convicting, <laughs> right? Because I thought about difficulty in my life and difficult times and seasons of my life, and I thought, hey, did I start out with thankfulness and praying for other people? Or did I start out with complaining, with bitterness, with God, why, whining, why? I don't know about you, but that, that's convicting for your pastor. It's just like Paul, even though in prison, the Colossians, even though in danger, he starts this off with thankfulness. And as I thought about it, I thought, where does he get this thankfulness in the midst of a difficult season? And he gets this thankfulness. It's anchored in theology. Right, look at the text with me, verse 4. He says, he heard of the Colossians' faith in Christ which led to a love for the saints. Theologically, that's how this works. In the whole of the New Testament, Paul lays out a reality. Their faith in Christ vertically leads horizontally to a love for all the saints. That, that's how God set it up. That's how it works in their life. Even though they have this 
dangerous situation, this infiltration of false teaching, even though he's in prison, this is a, a beautiful reality. Their faith is in Christ vertically, and that leads to a love for the saints, love for others horizontally. And then he makes it really clear who is responsible for their faith in Christ. Verse 5, look at that verse. He says, it's because of the hope, I love this, that's been laid up for you in heaven. Notice they didn't work for their hope. They didn't earn their hope. Someone else laid it up for them. It's a thankfulness anchored in theology. Verse 12, hop down to that verse. He says, the Father has qualified you to share in an inheritance. Notice they didn't qualify themselves. Even their faith that they could point to, their love for all the saints that he's, he's thankful for, that didn't qualify them. God the Father alone qualified them. Verse 13, he has delivered them from darkness, transferred them to the kingdom of Jesus. This is like when you, we have a little kid and they're in their high chair eating or throwing food across the table or just getting their foot all in the applesauce, like however it worked at your home. And you know as a parent, like, in the name of Jesus, you are done with that meal. <laughs> like, we need to transfer you. And what do you do? You pick them up and you move them across the room, away from the food, right? And that's what God did for them. That's what God does for us. He picked you. You were in a pit of sin and darkness, in a pit, you can't climb your way out. You need somebody to reach down in that and pick you up and transfer you. Paul says that's what God has done for you in Christ. It's a thankfulness rooted, anchored in theology. And then he sums it all up in verse 6. that it's, it's all about the grace of God. You see, how, how could Paul be thankful in the midst of difficult circumstances in his life and their lives? How could Paul be thankful? It's because he knew circumstantially things weren't great, but eternally things were forever secured and amazing. Amen? That right there in prison for him with false teaching infiltrating the church, if these people were in Christ, in God, that right now they were accepted, loved, forgiven by the God of the universe. That was the reality. That's what he could be thankful for, even in the midst of a difficult season. So my question for us as we launch into this book, as we launch into this sermon, are you thankful like that? Do you have a thankfulness that, that's anchored in theology, that's anchored in eternity, not, not your circumstance? Like how many of you today, you, you woke up and you just thanked God that you're not in hell, that you're not dead, that you have life, that your heart is pumping out blood, that you could come to a church and have vocal cords and sing songs. How many of you are thankful because of that? No matter your circumstance, this is eternally what is true. You are held together, if you're in Christ, you're held together eternally, no matter circumstantially what's going on in your life. Amen? We can thank God for that. And that doesn't have to be trite. I think sometimes in the Christian faith, we assume that if somebody is that thankful, that it must be fake. I remember my wife experiencing this. Have you gotten to know my wife at all? Uh, she's a very thankful woman. She's the best part of this thing, just to be clear, okay? If you haven't met her, you're missing out, okay? Uh, she's just, she's thankful for what God has done in her life. And I'm her husband, married 16 years, almost 17 and I've gotten to see it. Like, it's just authentic. It's just who she is. And she's not perfect. 
but she's just thankful for what God has done in her life. And I remember uh, before we moved to Phoenix, so nobody knows these people, okay? Before we moved to Phoenix, uh, we were at a church. And I remember some people came to me one time and they were like, hey, you, you know, like, uh, the way your wife is? And I was like, huh? <laughs> and like, you know how she's always, like, thankful and, like, in awe of God's grace and joyful. <laughs> they were like, you know, that's not normal, right? Like, like we don't, that's kind of not the way we roll around here. In a church? And we had to have a sit-down, I worked for this church, and we had a sit-down conversation of like, should I continue to work for this church? Because like, this should be all of our reality. And it's not that you're an extroverted person or an optimistic person. I don't care how you express it, in Christ, you've been saved from death to life. That's, you can't be more thankful. Nothing in, you have the world in checkmate. You can be in prison. And still be good eternally in Christ. My question is, are we, do we show up to church like that? Do we show up to work like that? Do you show up to your spouse like that? Are you thankful, anchored in theology of what is true about you and Christ? Man, it's an, the Christian life is this, it's a hard thing. It's a messy thing, but it is a beautiful, eternal thing that we can be thankful for. And so Paul starts right off, hey, here's a thankfulness I have rooted in theology. And he lets them know and he shares it with them and he, and he prays for them. That Jesus holds all, thing to get, all things together so we can be thankful in him. Here's our, our second point. That Christ holds us together globally. Look at verses 5 and 6. We see that the gospel has come, get this, to the whole world and is bearing fruit and growing. Now this is important to know. Uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians was written about 60 or 62 A.D. And that's important to know for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of those reasons is you need to know this wasn't written centuries later, and, and there's sort of these myths and legends uh, being mustered up about Jesus, and, and Paul's just perpetuating those myths and legends, and so he just takes pen to paper, and he starts writing this down to perpetuate that. No, this is written several decades after Jesus, and so some people may have been alive at this moment who were also alive when Jesus was alive. Some people may have heard about the resurrection like when it happened. And so there could be verifiable historical truth that, that was referenced here. And so that should give you some confidence as you read the book of Colossians. And yet it's important for another reason. It's important because it was 60 to 62 AD, several decades after Jesus rose from the grave. So you did have this gospel, this story of Jesus conquering sin, Satan, and the grave. It was traveling through the known world at the time. So that Paul could literally say, hey, this is growing, this gospel is growing in the whole world. That what had happened with Paul, his encounter with Jesus, and then spreading that in Ephesus to Epaphras, and then Epaphras taking it to the city of Colossae, and then people taking it out from there, that, that was happening throughout the known world. That Christianity had gone global. The whole world is experiencing this. And so just try to imagine that you have all these people groups. You have Jews and, and, and Greeks and even in the, in the city of Colossae itself. 
Colossians chapter 3 is going to say Jews, Greeks, barbarians, Scythians, all these different people groups. And they're all right together in one hub. And, and Paul's going to say, here's the one thing that unites you. It's Jesus Christ. Now, it's going to get messy, and you're going to see it in the book of Colossians. Uh, because of all these backgrounds and philosophies, they're dealing with these ideologies like Gnosticism and dualism that had infiltrated the church. Gnosticism and dualism, basically that, hey, God can't come in contact with the material world. And so if we're saying Jesus is fully man but also fully God, well, he can't be because it, God, a good God, can't come in contact with the material world. It was a belief of Gnosticism, dualism. And there was these different backgrounds, different philosophies, different ideologies coming from these different groups of people. There was also this mysticism and legalism everywhere from angel worship to abiding by strict ceremonial laws that Paul's going to go on to reference. And there was these competing ideologies, comp competing religions, philosophies based on different people groups all coming together. Like it was messy. So a big reason why Paul writes this letter is to, to give them the mission in the midst of the mess, to bring them back to the center of Christ, that he holds it all together. But what I find so fascinating about Paul is he doesn't look at all these different backgrounds, different people groups, messy behaviors. He doesn't look at them and say, all right, enough. Y'all got to divide up. Like we got to, like Scythians, you go all the way over here. Barbarians, we're going to put you in the back because you sound scary. And Jews, you're over here. And Greeks, you're over here. Like, we got to divide y'all up. This is, this is way too messy. Y'all got too many contradicting beliefs and ideologies and philosophies that you're bringing to the table. Like, this is never going to work. Just stay apart from each other. He doesn't do that. No, he says in chapter 3, when he states that there's barbarians, Jews, Greeks, Scythians, he says, you're all one together in Christ. Stay unified. Don't divide up. Stay together. Now center on Christ. Stop being silly. Anchor in Christ alone. He holds all things together. He holds your church together. He holds you together. But, but stay together. Now just, I know it's going to be hard, but just give me a moment here. I want you to try to imagine people from different backgrounds, people from different ethnicities, personalities, coming together as one new church. Can anybody imagine a scenario like that? Bring in their different preferences together under the banner of Jesus alone. Like, no way this makes sense other than Jesus alone. Amen. Like, Bethany Bible Church, Phoenix Bible Church, Kathy Runty's story. Can we just give it up for Kathy one more time? That was amazing. Thank you for sharing. And Kathy's story just depicts this last year of exploring, hey, what if these two churches, kind of two different preferences, two different types of people, and two different backgrounds, older, younger, like what if they came together under one name, under one banner, Jesus Christ? Like what would happen? Friends, we're experiencing what would happen right now. And it's beautiful. And yet it's challenging. And I think Paul could teach us something Today, he, he doesn't say divide up over your differences. He says unite in the midst of your differences around Jesus Christ and him alone. He, he, he calls them to come together, centered on Jesus. And I just think, Paul, don't you know how messy that's going to be? 
He says, yeah, I know, but it's, it's messy, but it's, it's worth it. Listen, you, you need to know, uh, just for a second, I know we don't like to say us and them, and I, like it's, there's no us and them, it's all us. But just for a second, there were two congregations. If you're new, I'll tell you the story later. I'm sorry to confuse you. But there were, there were two congregations. And let me just tell you, as the pastor who gets to talk to a lot of different people across the spectrum, you guys are different. <laughs> you guys are different. Like, I got to preach here several times last year. And I remember the first time I came and I said, I said this. I said, hey, everybody open up your Bibles. And there was just like this sound of... <laughs> And I was just like, what happened just now? Because you guys brought your physical Bibles to church. And I said, open them up. And you didn't just like arms back, like chill that. You're just like, no, let me, okay. He said, open it up. <laughs> and I love that. I love that some of you guys who have been at this congregation for a long time, like you, we say register for things and you register for things. <laughs> like before the day before. But I just, and there's no offense to 18th Avenue. Like, I love y'all too, but it's just different, okay? Like, y'all are, y'all are different. I could go into all the difference, but I'm not going to do that for you today. But here's what I would tell you. All the differences, you have way more in common than you think. See, again, I, I get this point of view as a pastor. I get to talk to all you guys. And I get to hear how you both, you love to sing. And both, younger, older, you love to sing. It fills you up. You're like almost like, Tim, can you get off the stage so we can keep singing? Like this is what you love. You love to sing. You love to serve. And the reason why we got Madeline up the first week, who's 22 years old, and she's talking about serving Jesus every Sunday in kids' ministry and how it's fulfilled her life. It's changed her life, and he's using her to change other people's lives. And she's like 22 years old, and she gets that, and she's committed in that way, and she's serving, and it's beautiful. But it's also why Kathy Runty got up here and says, hey, the different ways I've served is changed. Right now it's mending the soul. It's been other ways in the past, but, but I'm so committed. Would you, would you pray for us? Both of you, you love to serve. Both of you love to grow. You love to learn. I mean, it's been so fun to talk to, to some of you that are in Sunday school classes at 9 a.m., the adult enrichment hour. And even to attend one last week, and my wife is attending several of them throughout the weeks. And, and just getting to be in there and see your excitement for the word of God 50 years into it. You just love talking about it. I, mean, I, I love that. But also seeing some of our young couples hop in those classes and, and say, where, where are we at? Where are we on the scriptures? And they start studying too. And they love to learn from you and your experience and your wisdom. And they, and they came back the next week. You didn't scare them off. You love to learn and grow. You love missions. You love what God is doing in the world. Listen, most importantly, you're both in Christ. Fifteen times in 95 verses, Paul is telling these Colossian believers who are different, hey, you have the strongest commonality in all the universe. You're in Christ, the one who holds the universe together. And he's not just telling them that. He's telling us that. He's telling you that. 
young and old, different preferences, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. You have the strongest commonality. I know you're different, but you have the strongest commonality. It's being in Christ together that you may not share a last name, but you share the name that is above every name. That name is Jesus Christ. That's your, that's your commonality, and that is enough. He holds it all together. He holds this church together. We can learn from one another. Instead of letting our differences divide us, they can unite us, and it's messy, but it will refine us in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me just tell you today, God holds it all together like the universe. He holds this church together, and he put it together. I didn't do that. God did. And he, listen, he didn't do it to frustrate y'all. He did it to refine you for a greater purpose, for a greater kingdom impact. Amen? And I think there's a lot we can learn from this newer church at Colossae with all these different people that Paul says, don't divide, unite under one banner, one name, Jesus Christ. Because he holds all things together. What if we approached it that way? What if you approached the Sunday morning service that way? What if you approached the conversation that way? What would God do with this church on 7th Avenue and Bethany Home, one of the most trafficked corners of our city center? What would God do as a light in the darkness in a world where people cannot get along? If they don't have something in common, they run the other way and they post about it on Facebook. Amen? That's the way the world does it. What about those who are in Christ at Phoenix Bible Church? How do we do it? How will we be known? What, what will the stories that we will tell five years later, 50 years later, about what God did through this union of diverse people centered on Jesus Christ? I'm excited to tell that story. I'm excited for it to be told and for more people to come into that story and be a part of it. Amen? Here's the last thing. Christ holds us together abundantly. Christ holds us together abundantly. Verses 9 through 11, look at that passage. We see this sequence of, of knowledge and understanding that leads to wisdom, that leads to a living. What Paul is praying for is that the Colossian believers who had met Jesus would grow in Jesus, would grow up in Jesus, would, would advance, but not advance moving beyond Jesus. They would advance with Jesus and sync with Jesus. And if you notice, if you look at the text with me again, look at the abundant language Paul uses. Verse 9, he says that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Not lightly sprinkled with the knowledge of God's will. Filled up. Verse 10, fully pleasing to him. Not partially. Increasing in knowledge. Verse 11, strengthened not just with some power, but with all power. Not just to get by, but for all endurance, with patience and with joy. Paul paints this picture of, of a full life in Christ with all power. And I think if we look at that, even if you're here and you're not a Christian today, you would say, man, I want some of that. I want to wake up in the morning with this full life, this full life full of purpose and knowledge and wisdom that leads to my living. Like, I, I, I want that. And when I go to bed, I want to know, like, man, I have a, a full life. It means something. And all of us want that. And yet, many times we look for it in all the wrong places. We look for that full life and, and pleasure. 
And maybe it's a, a sex or a substance. But if I could just have this feeling once again, then, then I'll have a full life. Some of you look for that, that full life in control. And you, you got your whole routine. You got your kids on, on lockdown. You got, you got the scholarship. It's on its way. Some of you got the retirement. It's all locked up. And, and you're feeling good about that. And you're anchored in that. And you're like, that's where I'm going to get the full life. I'm going to buy a boat. I'm going to buy a second home. I'm going to rent it out as an Airbnb. And you're like, that's going to be the full life. And it's all in this, like, it's you hold it together. You're controlling everything. Paul says, no, 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 the full life is only found in Jesus Christ and growing up in in him. Many times we, we look for this full life even in religion. Some of us, man, we look for this full life, and pastors can be guilty of this, in a full room of people, in a full ministry of whichever one you're a part of. And we think, well, that's, that's fullness, because then I'm recognized, God's obviously happy with me and approving of me, and that's where you look for the full life. And, and listen, you need to know, here, here's what I've been praying for, for us as a new unified church. Here's what I'm praying in your life, that you would be full only in Christ. Not in pleasure, not, not in your semblance of perceived control, not even in religion. Listen, I've told you this before, our prayer, my prayer isn't that we have a full room of people, it's that we have a full city of disciples of Jesus Christ. That, that's the goal, is that like Paul says, you would all grow up in him. I love it that you're here in this room. I pray that you would grow up in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would leave this place, read Colossians, dig into it, write it out with a pen and paper, and let it soak and saturate your soul, your head, your heart, your hands, your finances, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything in your life, that you would live out this truth of the supremacy of Christ, that he holds it all together, that that would be seen clearly in your marriage. It'd be seen clearly in your parenting, on your good days and your bad days. It'd be seen clearly in your school and your grades and your trajectory in life. That's my prayer for you. That's why we gave you these Colossians journals. That's why last week we asked you to, hey, join a team, sign up to serve. God has wired you for this. And 70 of you said, yeah, I want to do that. That was so cool to see. But as as, uh, Shane said earlier, there's room for more. That's what last night, or last week, we did this life and community class to help you grow up in fullness. I said it last week, I'll say it again today, that that you can't have the purpose, joy, and meaning God wants for your life if you're doing it in isolation. It doesn't work that way. He's wired you for community. Come tomorrow, week two, 630 to 8, we'll feed you, we'll give you dinner. Why? Because we want you to have another thing on your schedule? No. No. Because I desperately want you to experience fullness in Jesus Christ alone, to grow up in him, to be a disciple of him who makes disciples of Jesus. That's the goal. Christ holds everything together abundantly. He can do that in your life. If you let, you got to let go. For him to hold it, both of y'all can't hold it at the same time, okay? Both of y'all can't hold your kids at the same time. Anybody? That's convicting for me. I want to hold my kids. I, I want to control their future. I want to control who she marries, right? When she's 35 <laughs> or 40, whatever the Lord leads, you know. 
I, I want to control where they go to college. I want to control. I, we, I, God can't hold it and I hold it at the same time. It doesn't work that way. What, what are you trying to hold on to that Christ already holds as he holds the entire universe? And if you would just trust him, you would be freed up to let go and joy and endurance and saying, God, would you fill me? Not my kids fill me. Would you fill me? Not my grades fill me, would you fill me? Not my retirement fill me, would you fill me? Not my outward success fill me, not what other people think of me, fulfill me, but Christ alone, would you fill me? Would you hold me together? That's the goal. No matter the season, no matter the circumstance. So here's how I want to end today. Here's how I want to start this series. Is I just want to follow, follow Paul's example of thankfulness and prayer. Thankfulness that Jesus already holds you together if you're in Christ. And then I want us to pray for one another. That, that he would fill all of us up in Christ. That this would define us no matter our circumstance. I, I've told many of you my dad has cancer. He's, he's having surgery. He's prepping for surgery in a couple weeks uh, to, to remove his esophagus, to remove the cancer. It's a major surgery. He's getting ready to do that in a couple of weeks. Not the best circumstances in his life. And yet this morning, my dad has did what he's done for eight and a half years. He texted me and said, hey, I'm praying for you today. Eight and a half years, my dad has not missed one Sunday to tell me that. And he didn't have cancer before, but I know there was days where it wasn't going well. I know there was days when the, the Cowboys lost. <laughs> and he's, he still sent me that text. I know there's days now as a 73-year-old man who's getting ready for a major surgery. I, I know that that's not ideal circumstances for him. And yet he's still, hey, praying for you today. May God bless you today. May he preach through you today. Man, my dad's not perfect, but that, I think that's a little glimpse of what it looks like to model what Paul is after here. Amen? To in the midst of your imperfections, your difficult circumstances, be thankful to God and pray for one another. To be filled up in him because he holds it all together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I, I just want to end today and start this new series just doing what Paul did, doing what my dad does, doing what probably many people do in here, and just be intentional together, just to say thank you. God, thank you for, just even me personally, thank you for raising me out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you for transferring me, picking me up out of my sin and placing me in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for living the life that I could not. For, for dying the death that I deserved because of my sin and for rising again and defeating sin and, and Satan in the grave in my own life. And God, I, I pray right now that we would just all take a moment right where we are, just silently right where we are and just thank you. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for holding us together. We thank you for holding this church together. Now and in the future. God, we thank you. And God, we pray for one another.
God, I pray right now for every man and woman in this room, the ones who are watching online, that as Paul prayed, that you would fill us up in the knowledge of the will of God. Fill us up. That you would strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might, not ours. God, you would fill every single one of us up through reading your word, Colossians, through, through going to a life and community class, through stepping out and serving, through impacting our community and our neighbors for the glory of God and the good of our city. You would fill us up. You would strengthen us. God, that you would use this time to ripple out into our weeks, to ripple out into our our years to come, that we would be a testimony, Phoenix Bible Church would be a testimony of this message of Colossians that Jesus Christ and him alone holds it all together. God, we thank you. It's the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And everybody said, amen.